Hey, this is John Torrey, co-host of the Culture Classroom, and I just want to tell you a little bit about what to expect with Season 3 coming up. First of all, Coach Weaver and I have been so grateful for the response from Season 1 and Season 2, and this thing is only growing and getting momentum, and there's a lot more we can talk about when it comes to culture. Joining us in the classroom throughout this season, Season 3, are going to be people like Coach Adam Matheson, who's doing amazing things with the left coast offense in Washington. And then there's also going to be Coach Kurt Hines, who, if you aren't familiar with Coach Hines, go find him on Twitter. He posts things daily that talk about how you can bring your program to a championship level and build people up along the way. And don't miss Brian Kite, who will be joining us this season, where we're going to talk about E plus R equals O, your response to an event equals the outcome. Uh, All of this coming up on Season 3 of The Culture Classroom. It's going to be bigger and better. GameStrat is the number one choice for football coaches looking for the most reliable and advanced sideline replay system on the market. More coaches are switching to GameStrat because it simply works when it's supposed to work. And unlike other systems, GameStrat is simpler to set up and use, delivers the fastest video transfer times in the industry, gives you the most tagging capabilities, and has the best game day support. Choose GameStrat for your game day needs. Hey, JT. A uh, ton of momentum, like you said, going into season three. A lot of coaches, a lot of input, uh, a lot of content for our listeners to dive into, especially with this season and with who we have coming to the classroom today. Uh, this guest really needs no introduction. Uh, he's been around for a while. He's, uh, if you're familiar with Ohio State football and things that they did with them, uh, with their football team. Uh, if you're familiar with E plus R equals O, uh, the doesn't matter, get better DMGB that you see going around. Uh, he's now the founder of dailydiscipline.com that he'll get into a little more with us in the classroom. But Brian Kite will join us. And uh, man, what a what a person to have in our classroom today. Yeah, this is one of those moments where you clear the schedule, whatever you have on it, so that you can make time for him. It's kind of like Christmas morning for us. We use him with our football team. Uh, I've subscribed to the Daily Discipline email. I'm sure you do, too, and the 25 other thousand people out there. Uh, and that number is just growing. So it's an honor to have him on our show, and uh, I can't wait to listen to what he has to share today. Now get your notepads and your pens ready and welcome Brian Kite to the classroom. Thank you a ton for coming on the show. Um, You know, we're in season three and uh, we're getting into the psyche of the athlete. Um, And it fits right in with what you do and the daily discipline. And our, my co-host John Torrey, who's on as well. uh, We have some, some hard hitting stuff that you have the answers to. And we want our listeners to, uh, to hear from you who has uh, been around and understands the power of daily discipline and with today's athlete. Um, so, John Torrey, uh, Brian Kite. Hi. How you doing, Coach? Doing great, John. How about you, man? I'm doing great. Thanks. I appreciate all the things that, that you're doing for other coaches and leaders around um, here and, and all over. And uh, we follow a lot of what you're doing. And we use we use what you're doing with our football team and uh, we've probably done that about three years now, and it's made a huge difference. So thank you for sharing your wisdom and some of the things that uh, help us achieve peak performance. Yeah, you're, you're welcome, brother. I'll, I'll, you know, I'll tell you, you know, not everybody knows, and I haven't talked a ton about this yet, but, you know, I, I worked with my dad, uh, Tim Kite, for 15 years uh, at Focus 3, and a company that he founded, and I took over as CEO uh, of Focus 3, well, I don't know, six or seven years ago. Um, and I just recently left and went out on my own and, and left Focus 3. And, you know, as, as difficult of a decision that is, you know, at a personal level and, and all of those things, you know, one of the reasons why I made that decision, which I think surprised a lot of people, is specifically because of my deep interest in 
getting better at serving you guys, getting better at serving coaches, at serving athletes. Um, you know, because at Focus Three, uh, you know, we uh, it was a big part of the mission. <clears throat> no, but at the end of the day, you know, I worked I worked for a decade and in business before I ever worked with athletes. You know, I was an athlete. I wanted to work with coaches. I wanted to work with athletes. You know, early on in my career, it just it just I wasn't good enough at the time. And then the business model of Focus Three was to serve companies. And so and so without you know significantly changing the business at Focus Three. Um, you know, it was kind of a challenge to figure out how we could run a company that was designed and built to serve organizations of a certain size and scope, you know, companies like Bank of America and, you know, these big banks and hospitals and, and manufacturing firms, you know, then being able to serve a high school in Mississippi and, you know, 60 athletes on a football team or 20 athletes in a basketball program. You know, it was, it was legitimately a challenge to figure out how to do that kind of service. So one of the reasons that I stepped away from Focus 3 was to figure out how to serve you guys better in a way that fit with exactly how coaches and athletes need, you know, whether it's tools, training, teaching, coaching, whatever those things are. And I'm still very much on the front end of, all right, how am I actually going to do this? What, what is it that you need? How do I help you every day, every week? What's the programming look like? All of right. those different things. So. Um, man, I am I am in the heat of this thing right now, and writing these daily discipline emails, and whether it's Twitter posts or you know, or, or you know, uh, responding to, to different messages or these podcasts. You know, for me, it's just the beginning of this. I've barely even gotten started. Wow. Well, uh, we really appreciate it, and like I said, uh, as we look to the three D athlete coaching the mind, the body, and the spirit. Um, the work that you've done with Focus 3 and then now on your own. I can't tell you how many team meetings we've had where the daily discipline email that you send out aligns perfectly with the message that we want to share with our team. And so it's just another 10, 15 second injection that makes a big difference. So um, I think the other thing too is that don't ever underestimate the, the power of an outside voice. Our kids hear from us all the time as teachers, as coaches, as leaders. And sometimes when you get the right people from outside the organization saying the same thing, that sticks, whereas all the noise that I talk about with my team doesn't always stick. So really appreciate what you're doing. Yeah, of course. I, you know, I'll, I'll double down on that. I view a big part of my job is to be another voice and another angle for what you're already saying. I mean, that, that's, you know, as dads, as coaches, as leaders, uh, you know, that's a big part of it. I, I was just up in, uh, I was in Raleigh with, uh, with NC state and, and coach Dorn and I were talking and, and one of the things we were just really clear on is he said, listen, there, it's unlikely that what you're going to say are things that they've never heard before. Maybe a couple things, you know, I redefined discipline. They probably haven't heard that before, but they've heard discipline from coach. And we were just laughing about how, you know, he could be saying the same damn thing to them for three years. And then I come in and I say it, but I say it a little bit different than he does. And they're like, Oh my gosh, that's so true. And he's like, hold on a second. I'm trying to tell you this for three years. And this guy comes in for 20 minutes. And so look, that's part of my job, you know? And, and if that means that, you know, they look at me a little different than they look at you. So be it. I, I'm, I'm happy to wear that role. Right. That's so true. Like we get that with coach Davis, our head football coach, he'll be pounding something on some guys and then just a different voice comes in, and they're like, that aha moment. And we're like, wait a second. This has, like, been the last, like, two weeks. <laughs> like, what what the crap's going on? So uh, I works, totally man. get it. That's how it works. One of the things that I appreciate that I want to get into is uh, tell us a little bit about the R factor. And just a little bit of a background. I teach middle school, and that's really difficult because there's – I call it – I'm in the second chance business because – Kids are going to mess up. They're just forming who they're going to be as an adult, but their brain is nowhere close to being an adult brain yet. And so next year, one of the big focuses is I'm going to use the E plus R equals O framework in my room because a lot of times when I have to get involved as a teacher to discipline or to correct behavior, it's the response that matters, not really what was happening before I intervene, but however that kid or that person responds to my intervention that's what's going to make the difference. And uh, that has totally reshaped how I discipline, how I approach kids, how I continue to build relationships through that framework. 
So tell us a little bit about where that came from, please. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, a common a common uh, misunderstanding about E plus R equals O, which is what you're talking about, event plus response equals outcome, is a lot of people think that, that either I or, or my dad came up with and invented E plus R equals O when we didn't. Um, e plus R equals O as a, as a tool was around before us. Uh, we built a whole system around it, like you mentioned, called the R factor, which which is, uh, you know, obviously done a lot of really cool things. <clears throat> but E plus R equals O, uh, my best understanding, it's actually the it's origins, where it got created, it's kind of, uh, kind of shrouded in mystery somewhat. I mean, as far as I can tell, it came or originated from a, a, a doctor, um, boy, like, I don't know, maybe 30 years ago. So I, I first got introduced to it in high school. And um, it started to become a, a, a something that I, you know, really started picking up and using a lot more in high school. I don't know, probably around 16, 17, something like that. And, you know, maybe, maybe a little bit earlier, but somewhere around that window. And then, and then started really getting a hold of it uh, after high school when I went to college and then I left college and dropped out for a year and then went back to, to LA. I, I went to college in Ohio, you know, dropped out for after one semester, went back to LA. I was waiting tables in LA, you know, living on the beach for a year and, and then, you know, making some decisions that weren't taking me in the direction that I wanted to go and kind of had a, a, a couple uh a couple come to Jesus moments with sort of, Hey, what, what do I want to be doing? Where do I want to be going? It was my first year out of football in probably 12 years. And, uh, and it, it centered for me that, that there's all these events happening and no matter what's going on in your life. And look, I, I didn't have the worst life in terms of events and things given to me. Um, I didn't have the best either. Um, you know, I had probably like all of us, I had, uh, you know, that mixed bag, you know, you have good things, you have not as good things. You know, I had, I had two parents who loved me, but I also had the parents who were divorced. I had parents who treated me really well and were unbelievable to me and gave me insanely good gifts, but they did things that divorced parents do. And I was caught in the middle of a lot of that. And so, you know, we could point at both of those and I'm, was neither a, a, a victim nor a, you know, nor a, a, a an entitled, uh, you know, stole the person that I just kind of had what I had. But then you get into, you get outside of the, the boundaries of high school. And I had the experience a lot of people have is you taste and touch freedom and you mismanage it. Mm. You know, you, you, you think that you're capable of certain things and then you get outside of the structure of, uh, ball or school or whatever, you know, parents or a house, whatever it is. And you realize, oh man, like it's a great big world. And like I've been telling a lot of teams, uh, you want the freedom to make your own choices. Awesome. And I want you to have that. However, you do not get freedom from the consequences that come with them. Mm. And every human being since the dawn of time has to learn that you get to make choices, but you face real consequences for the choices that you make. And I believe that's what E plus R equals O comes down to. And we can simplify it back to, John, cause and effect. You know, I wrote in Daily Discipline this week, cause and effect is probably the most underused, misunderstood, simple skill that most people do not pay attention to. And I believe that's why E plus R equals O grabs people so directly. It's cause and effect. People don't want to face cause and effect. Look, if you use a tone with somebody that reflects a bad attitude or irritation, it's going to trigger and create something in them. You don't get to use whatever tone of voice you want and then be upset when somebody's irritated with that. Right. It's cause and effect. You don't get to drive like an a-hole and then expect people to move out of your way. It's cause and effect. <laughs> If you yell at a player and you challenge and criticize his manhood and judge him and label him as soft and lazy, if he loses respect from you and disconnects from you and doesn't want to do the technique and the drill that you're coaching, it's your damn fault. And Don't many, blame the player. And how many times do you see that in today's society? Like All the time. The, 
And I'm thinking about this, that dude, that last chance you got. So I just saw him on TV today. I got no time for that dude. I mean, I got no, I'm not going to judge him. Yeah. I just have no time for him. Yeah. None. Yeah. I just, that's where my brain went when you were saying that, because I was like, what are we trying to do with kids? Are we trying to impact them or beat them down? Yeah. Stuff like that. So, you know, cause and effect, no, no doubt. So here, so here's the thing on cause and effect to jump into that. So, so to answer the question of where did it come from and what are the origins of the equation, I don't know. Uh, not at least not at the depth and the detail. And you know, I'd, I'd be really interested in actually like finding all the way back to. I mean, ultimately, I read stuff that's five thousand years old, and I read E plus R equals O in it. I mean, literally, almost almost verbatim. I mean, you go read the Stoics, and they're saying. Life is not about the circumstances you face. It's about how you choose to respond to those circumstances. And they were writing about that 5,000 years ago. I mean, that's, that's damn close to E plus R equals O. They just might not have put the letters in, right? For so sure. for me, where it came from was obviously first my dad introduced me to the equation back in, you know, 97 or something like that. And then I grew into, I grew into it being the structure and frame of my life based on the experiences that I had, both managing it well and seeing benefit and mismanaging it and seeing, you know, the, the, the consequences on the negative side that I faced. And I realized that if I did this well, I got a lot better and I got better things. It's what I saw right away. It wasn't, it wasn't for me, it wasn't a tool that a lot of people gravitate to, it's an adversity tool. And I, I think that's a limited use of this tool. I gravitated to it with an opportunity and an achievement tool. I saw it not as helping me responding to events because then I'm kind of passive waiting for life to give me events to overcome them. And I'm kind of always treading water and that's not succeeding. That's like, you know, that's like, uh, that's like England and Churchill in the first half of World War Two. You know, they were they were they were not losing battles, and and everybody was very happy, but they weren't winning anything. And he was telling everybody, "You look, you don't just so you know, we're not winning yet. Like we're just not dying. And and you look, there's a time for that, but that's not how I want to live my life. So I gravitated to this tool from a how do I create the outcomes I want? How do I create the outcomes my team wants? How do I win more games? How do I win championships? How do I get to a starting position? How do I get a better grade? How do I graduate? How do I make more money? How do I get the job I want? How do I find, you know, a great woman to marry? Or, you know, how do I, you know, find a, a great guy, depending on who you are? And, you know, what, like, how do I go find that? You know, because, you know, this is, not, you know, E plus cycles O is, 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 uh, is not just a football tool. It's a, you know, there's as many there's as many uh, young women and, and girls lacrosse and field hockey out there crushing it with this thing as anybody, and so I gravitated to it for that. And then eventually, life throws you these things that are difficult. And you know, if you're working really hard to chase down with this tool uh, the outcomes you want, well, then when the hard stuff comes your way, you're better at dealing with it. But here's the first thing I would say that is the is the higher level or or, or going beyond the base application of E plus R equals O. Most people view E plus R equals O left to right. They view it event first, and then I respond, and I get an outcome. I don't think that's the best use of the tool. I think that's, I think that's an occasional use of the tool. I think that's a, I think that's a, a situationally relevant, you know, the, when, when context is that way, great. But I think home base for the tool at a higher level is thinking of it right to left. And that is, what outcomes do I want? Right. Set those. What responses do I need to get into? And what's the quality of them to create those outcomes? And then what's the context of the event and the playing field that I've got to go through to get the outcomes I want and do these responses? And, and, and listen, that works for, we were talking about our kids before. That's parenting. Right? What outcome do I want? I want my son to be this kind of young man. And then I want him to figure out what kind of young man and, and man he wants to be eventually. But I want him to do these things. Right now, we're, you know, our bows are both two and a half. We're potty training right now, right? It's like, okay, here's the outcome I want. And all right, here's, here's the responses I got to engage in to create them. And then the event is just kind of whatever the event is that day. What mood is he in? Where is he at? What's he interested in? What's his motivation? What toys does he like and want? What reward can I give to him? So ultimately, I'm outcome-driven there, not event-driven. We get into dangerous places as parents when we become event-driven because that's when we get reactionary. Mm. 
based on our emotions with our kids and we start we start reacting not based on purpose we start reacting based on autopilot and impulse and you know these things that you know yeah. put us into these conflicts with our kids so this stuff transcends so I, i'm very outcome driven and folk in 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 focus with equal cycles though and i think that's a huge mental and lens shift for a lot of coaches and a lot of players yeah because we have it we have it in our hallway our football hallway we have it e plus r equals o well and everything that we talk about is what you said it's left to right and that's how i think the brain reads left to right we're thought that way we're looking that way and and a lot of times you know like we lost the state championship and they're like all right what's our response like a turnover happens um DMGB is the answer to that. Yeah, it doesn't matter. Get better, which is right on the other side of our locker room. Right when you walk in, is uh, is that? So yeah. we had to train our guys' brain to. In the the history of our football program, typically was when bad things happen, we were done. When bad things happen, we were done. And this past year, we saw the light. We played a team out of Memphis. They were up twenty eight fourteen at half. We have a huge sticker of DMGB. And our head coach said, look, you have two chances here. You can either forget the first half, and it doesn't matter. Let's just go get better. And then, hey, what's your response to things that happened that you didn't like in the first half? And what outcome do you want? And then we changed, and we ended up winning, you know, the last two minutes of the game, blah, blah, blah. So, you know, uh, but, yeah, I like the fact that you're going outcome first. Yes. And then what's my response? That's a great way to look at it now. Um, I'm taking notes on that right now, actually, of how we can, going into fall camp, we can identify that. Well, you, you think about it. I mean, let, let's let's take outcome first. And you're right. I mean, and people, by the way, so you know, listeners and, and both of you guys, people have tried to, when they hear that, they're like, oh, well, let's change the flow of the equation. And it doesn't work. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm, by the way, by all means, if you want to take some creative stabs at it, great, go ahead. But you know, at least listen and then and then and then take the feedback. People try to change it. Well, you know, it's it, rather than e plus r equals o, we should do o minus e equals the r required. And it's like, and what you do is you violate simplicity, right? Like, don't right. waste people's time. Like, keep it simple. E plus r equals o, great. But but like every like anything else, you know. If what I want to end up to, let's take math, right? If what I want to end up to is five, and the event I have is two, then my response becomes pretty obvious, doesn't it? Yeah. You need a three, right? Yeah. One, two, half, cut it. I need a three. So I think of it that way in life. So here's what I do. What I do with outcome focus is I get very specific, and this is where it gets into the mechanics. And it's where this moves from concept to action, where it goes from idea to execution. And this is where we lose a lot of people because it becomes something that we don't get to just talk about. Now we got to go do it and you got to put skin in the game and face consequences. And you got to come eye to eye with whether you're good enough or not. And here's how I do it. I'm going to go drive later today. I'm also going to get onto an airplane. Uh, tomorrow I'm going to be with a client giving a keynote. You know, I'm done here. My, my in-laws are staying here because they just moved from Ohio to Charlotte and their, their, their stuff's getting moved down here. There's all these things I'm going on in life. I'm outcome focused. When I get in my car, the first thing I think of is what outcome do I want? Literally. Like not conceptually, literally. What outcome do I want? Because if I don't ask that, I'm going to drive on autopilot and I'm going to think the whole world revolves around my car because I'm naturally selfish like a human. So I get in the car and I think, what outcome do I want? Well, what outcome do I want when I'm in my car? The only outcome I ultimately and deeply care about is my safety. That's it. I drove down to Atlanta from Charlotte, saw a sign, right? 507 people have died in South Carolina in car accidents so far this year. 507. Huh. Okay? <laughs> Tell me this. Of those 507 people who, who, are, who, who at the start of 2019 were alive and are now dead, and we, we go deep pretty fast here, how many of those 507, when they got in their car, thought to themselves, I might die today? I'm going to go ahead and say zero. Zero. And that's just one of our 50 states, guys. That's one. 
that number is probably pretty even across 50 states. You can do 50 times 500, and we're only at the halfway mark of the year, and those numbers of people who died in their cars, that number gets real, real quick. Yeah. And out of those 500 people, none of them thought, hey, I'm going to go drive <laughs> to the mall, to the bank, on vacation, to Disneyland, whatever it was they were doing. And they thought, oh, man, I might die in this car today. <laughs> mm. I, when I get in my car, I think of this outcome. I'm just trying to stay safe today. Then I'm trying to get where I want to go. Then I'd like to be there on time if possible. Being efficient and going fast when I drive my car is not an outcome I'm worried about. It doesn't matter. Wow. Me getting to Atlanta in, in uh, three and a half hours rather than four hours because I went 85 and got that guy out of my way, it doesn't matter. Right. Because I, wow. could drive, I could drive that way, right? I could drive that way and never pay a price. I'm 37, right? I could drive that way for another 15 years and never pay a price for it. Never, never get in a car accident, never get a ticket, never get, not get anything. 15 years from now, after my son graduates high school, we could be driving into college, and I could be driving that way and make one mistake, and I could lose my whole family. That gets real. Uh, that gets I, real. Yeah. My responses, they don't have to cost me anything for 20 years. And then when I'm driving, one response that is not geared towards an outcome and misreading the outcome I really wanted, make good time, get, you know, go 85 rather than 80 because I'm behind a slow car that I think is slow and I change lanes too fast and don't look over at that lane over there, boom. So I do the same thing. So I do that when I'm driving my car. When I do that, when I'm on a flight, like I'm just trying to get where I want to go. That's it. Like, I just want to get on the next flight. If my flight's delayed, I want to be on it when it takes off. I also want my, my plane to be, to be uh, a safe uh, flight. So I don't want yeah. to take off before the plane is ready. So if they got to <laughs> delay it to fix it, take an hour. I'll wait. Yeah. Right. I, I want to have a good night with my wife. I want to get into football. Right. I'm not trying to win the game in the second quarter. I'm trying to gain five yards on first down so that we have a second five. Because second yeah. five, great place to be. I'm not trying to I'm not trying to win. I'm not trying to score a touchdown on first and ten to minus twenty. I'm trying to get to second and five, because on second and five, man, we got fifteen plays we can run. Right. But on second and twelve, we got like two. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, people look at Tom Brady. I think this is why Tom Brady is so good. I, it, the, the people are like, well, how's he so good? Tom Brady gets this. Tom Brady, you know, he probably doesn't know E plus R equals O. I have a doubt that he knows it. But what Tom Brady knows is Tom Brady knows how to focus on the outcome that matters for the context he's in. And he's not event-driven. He's outcome-driven. Mm -hmm. He knows, hey, we don't need to score a touchdown every single time that we get the ball. We don't need to score points every time we touch the ball. We'd like to, but I don't need to. What I need to do is I need to gain four yards on first down so that I put myself into a second and six so that I can get to third and one. Because if I can get to third and one, our conversion rate is 80%. And if I can stay within an 80% conversion rate, what happens is I'm going to control the ball for an extra 11 minutes a game, and I'm going to flip the field position 60% more than they will. And over the course of an NFL season, that's going to put us at 12 and four which gives us home field advantage to the playoffs. And I don't have to go win playoff games on the road. Yeah. Tom Brady gets it. Guess where he learned it. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like he got coached that way. Yeah. And so this is yeah. right. This is the outcome right. And I do the same thing with, and again, just to give you guys some context, I did the same thing say with, when you guys are on content, we were talking about, you know, the stuff that I'm putting out, you know, whether it's videos or David on my on my job site, I, you know, I've got twenty five thousand people who read Doodle Discipline. Guess how many I started with? Uh, four, zero. Oh. <laughs> okay, started. I didn't start with twenty five thousand. I didn't start with a thousand. I didn't start. With, I started with zero. And so what I did was I said, "Here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna write one email. I'm gonna send it at six a.m. And then I'm gonna write a second email, and I'm gonna send that one at six a.m." 
And I'm not going to worry about whether this ever gets to 100 people or 5,000 people or whether this ever makes me a dollar. What I'm going to do is I'm going to write an email and I'm going to send it out at 6 a.m. And whoever's on the other end that wants to receive it, I'm going to make it available to them. Mm. That was my outcome. My outcome was write an email and send it to anyone who wants to actually read it. I'm not worried about who doesn't read it. This is a great way for me to think of this. More people, literally, like no matter what happens, there will always be more people on the planet who don't read my daily discipline email than people who do. (laughs) The overwhelming majority of people never read my daily discipline. So what does it matter who is, yeah, I'm only worried about the people who are on it. So I just say hyper outcome focus. And then I should say hyper outcome driven and then response focused. And then the events just show up along the way. And that's just kind of what I deal with as I'm going after outcome. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. That's kind of how we started. That's kind of how we started this thing. And and, Tori, you can jump in on this. But it was the same deal with, you know, we both had a common thing of influence. We wanted to influence people, but we didn't want, I mean, we didn't. We didn't really care. It was like two dudes just talking. And it turned into, like, we're going to do this podcast. We're going to do one a week and put it out there. And whoever listens, listens. And whoever responds to it and gets it, gets it. But, um, you know, it's it, it's been great for us. But, like, if five people listen or 5,000 people listen, it doesn't matter. Yeah, no, and what I love about it is when you become outcome focused, I'm just taking I'm taking about five pages of notes here in our conversation. That's just who I am. But uh, uh, when you become outcome focused and you start with the end in mind, what is the outcome that you want in every situation, you're really owning your 20 square feet. So you yeah. and your car, that if you drive like a Hyundai Elantra like I do, that gets 51 miles a gallon because I made a long commute for a lot of years. Um My car is probably about 20 square feet on the highway. And so when you start looking at it from an outcome perspective, that totally feeds into your 20 square feet. And then everything else that's happening in this crazy world around you that just seems to be going faster and faster every year, it doesn't really matter. No, I mean, go back to go to driving. What? Because people ask us stuff all the time. What difference does it make how anyone else drives? Like, make the case. What what difference does it make how anybody else drives your car? I mean, we don't even know their name. Right. We just know Let that. Let alone right. where they're going. <laughs> we, just, we just know that they did something that we don't approve of. But yeah. not even something we all agreed to. <laughs> like, somehow they're interested in our opinions of how they ought to be driving. <laughs> Nobody cares. You know, so it's just, true. Yeah. So, so you know, but but let's let's take this out. And people say, "Oh, well, this would be exhausting." You know, guess what? It is when you don't have a system. It is when you're not complex. And you know what? Sometimes it is exhausting. Period. But it's better than the price we would pay for not being good at it. Yeah. People say, "Oh, you know, you always have to be on." Uh, I talk about this in marriage a lot. Yes, have an outcome for the conversation you want to have with your wife. No, you don't have to. You know, sit. I'm not talking about being being uh, uh, robotic. I'm not talking about sitting down and like writing down a strategy for you know walking through and asking, "Hey, can you pour me a cup of coffee?" or anything like that. <laughs> or, "Hey, you know, we, we at dinner, what's our outcome we want here at dinner?" No, but what it is is when you have E plus R equals O, and it's operating like software in your brain, like like yeah. the, the I'm looking at my iPhone here, like the iPhone operates and it's humming with this iOS right? Operating system. That's what E plus R equals O is. It's an operating system. Right. And so, yes, when I sit down at dinner with my wife, I am looking and I have a broad general outcome of just what do I want tonight? What I want is a great, fulfilling, fun, joyful, loving conversation with my wife. That's right. what I want. And so what I'm not going to do is I'm not going to act like a guy that would send it in a different direction. Right. Yeah. So let me I'm ask you this. With, with high school kids and their inability to appreciate perspective or to see what's happening all around them, I mean, very few, uh, t- your teenage years are a chance to be totally consumed with yourself. How do you get them to think outcome-driven? You know, this is where, this is where, um, this is where a lot of people, I think, make mistakes with teenagers and I, I'm not working with teenagers 
every day like you guys are. And, um, and you know, there's a big part of me that's, that, that's uh, disappointed that I, I don't get to do that as often as I would like. But I don't think it's fundamentally different than dealing with with the people that I deal with most of the time, which is, you know, college athletes and, and then you know, professionals later in their career. And this is the mistake I think people make is they make the mistake of they start by telling a teenager to be selfless mm. when you just mentioned that your teen years are a time to be selfish. And I'm not talking about, hey, let them be selfish or promote selfishness. But here's the mistake. The mistake is we tell teenagers to you know lose themselves and then we don't tap into the most powerful resource that exists and that's self-interest. We don't empathize and appreciate what a teenager wants and then help them actually get that. We dictate to a teenager what they're supposed to want and then we get frustrated when we don't understand what their motivations are and we can't move them. You want to move somebody? Find out what they want. You want to help somebody? Find out what they're emotionally invested in, what they care about, and then make them feel like you care about that too and use that to drive the action that we're looking for. This is what Nick Saban does better than everybody else. Nick Saban gets team-driven behavior from the highest level athletes because he starts with self-interest. Yeah. And that's why I think he doesn't judge it. Good. No, I'm just saying that's why I think God gave us two ears <laughs> to listen yeah. more than he doesn't we... judge it. It's true. He doesn't judge it. He doesn't criticize it. He doesn't say like you shouldn't want that. He doesn't tell them what they ought to want. He says, "What do you want? Why do you want it? Tell me what it is. Tell me how much it means to you. Tell me what it... show it to me." Yeah. Then he says, "This okay, I got it. Now, do you want me to help you get it?" They go, "Yep." He goes, here's how. Boom. And then he tells him every single thing he needs. And guess what all of that stuff aligns with? Stuff that helps the University of Alabama too. Yeah. How do you get a five-star to – I mean, think about this for a second. Why does Nick Saban have no problem getting five stars to sit behind five stars to sit behind five stars for three years just to get a crack at playing at Alabama? Do you think it's because those guys are so desperate – to play at the University of Alabama, they're willing to give up everything just to get a, a snap-off inside Bryant-Denny Stadium? No. They could go start at Georgia today. All the Georgia fans would be mad at me for that. And <laughs> 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 hey, we can take some of those guys up here at Nebraska, okay, too. Listen, you take them up in Nebraska, right. No. Why? It's because of what Nick Saban personally does with those guys. He gets them to believe and it's true. He has them to believe that he cares about them as deeply as they do, that their dreams, their wants, their desires are best achieved where and through who? At Alabama, through Nick Saban. Right. That's what he does. And then what he does is he uses, and this is this is the 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 trick, John, right? It's not a trick, it's basic human psychology that we lose sight of. I think it's easier in coaching to do this because we get, you know, caught up in phrases and quotes and all this different stuff. He uses what's always worked. Find the self-interest, connect the self-interest to the larger team goals, and show people how their self-interest is served by aligning with team standards. Hmm. Not everybody's going to want to do that. And so let the people who don't want to do that find and choose their way out of your program. It's okay. It's okay. At the end of the day, only 85 guys make scholarship in Alabama. Nick Nick is not concerned about that. I don't know Nick, so I'm not talking from personal experience, but I can observe. Right. He's not concerned about what guys 86 through 1,000 who didn't choose their way into Alabama think. What Nick is focused on is guys 1 through 85 who chose to match their personal desires with the standards at Alabama and he is all in with those guys to win championships. And if you go to that University of Alabama, there's a really good chance you're going to win a national championship. Oh yeah. If you go to our, if you go to Clemson, there's a really good chance you're going to win a national championship. You go to Ohio State, there's a really good chance you're going to win a national championship because those are three programs that are doing this really, really well right now. Yeah, and I was going to say Dabo. Dabo has it figured out. 
And he had it figured out, I think, when he was a wide receiver coach. You know, yep. he gets his players. Another guy I think about, and he's an up-and-coming guy, is Justin Stepp, the wide receiver coach at Arkansas. Uh, listen, I'm going to be with Justin on Monday. Oh. Uh, down with those guys. And I'm a, I am buying every piece of stock that I can buy in Justin because that guy is an absolute superstar in this industry. Yeah, he yeah. gets it. He executes it. He's a man's man. He's got a massive heart. And he can coach the hell out of his game. Yeah. I met him for the first time. We had a, a clinic, an Arkansas clinic, and met him. And he's like, hey, come out and eat with us afterwards with Coach Morris. And, and I was like, sure. And I got to dive into who he is. And yeah. I'm telling you, that I'm with you. Like, that guy has got it going on. Um, yeah. Plus, fact, he's got a hairstyle like yours. So, he does. You know, you you know it's <laughs> it's the end thing now. You know, no, no hair. Uh, I wake up and just kind of give it some soap give and it, go. Give it a little touch up. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, Brian, what I thought about was you talked about he had a big heart. He named him his son after a player that I mean, come on now, come on. Yeah. So that yeah. guy's that guy's just he's got it. So let me, uh, you asked him the one. John, does that, does that make sense, what I was referring to about tap into the self-interest first and then and then tap into use the self-interest to drive it to the more selfless activity, the more team activity? Does that make sense to you guys? Yes. Oh, it totally makes sense. And I love the idea of getting interested in the kid. And that, Like if I was going to boil that down into one word, that's relationship. And then matching it with your goals as a team – and that's where that creative tension that we as coaches who put on our athletes and our programs and all the people outside of it, that's our job to manage all that. But when you can align it and get it going in the right direction, that's when you're saying you'll reach this tipping point and then the outcome will take care of itself. I mean, that's, that's when you get the behavior aligned. Once the behavior is aligned, now it becomes execution issues and style okay. and all that different stuff, right? So, for example, let, let me take the same principle – and let me just change the setting, and let's look at how our minds, how, how we see it differently. Do both of you teach? Yeah, yeah. I do. Yes. Okay. What, what do you both teach? I'm, uh, I teach senior government. Okay. And, and I teach seventh grade social studies. All right. Awesome. So you, you are both members of an organization at a school where you are not in charge of everything, right? Correct. Correct. <laughs> and you guys get paychecks and you guys have responsibilities? Absolutely. But yeah. then you also coach? Right. Okay. Yeah. So here's the thing. If your superintendent came to you and told you to be selfless and give up $10,000 or $5,000 of your salary because it helped the school and you're a teacher and you chose to serve the larger mission of the school and they said, hey, give up five grand and work an extra 10 hours because the school needs it. Would you be like, oh, yeah, absolutely, no problem, and you wouldn't blink twice, and you would just go do it all and never question it, and you would attach that to your character? And then if your principal or superintendent, whoever, looked at you and kind of saw you kind of maybe going a little slow to make that decision and started criticizing you for that, would you be like, oh, yeah, I deserve all that criticism? Huh. Or would you maybe think twice about giving up things that were important to you that served your life, even if that $5,000 didn't change your family, right. if it was just your vacation money? Like, it's yours, right? Correct. Yeah. yeah. And it's your time. And if somebody asks you to put an extra 10 hours, do you ever, like, go, guys, I'm already working really hard here as a teacher? Oh, as a teacher, yeah. 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 You ever yeah. go, like, yeah. listen, I'm already working hard. And, look, I'm not working an extra 10 hours if I'm not going to get compensated for it because this is a job. And so what happens is this. If I were to tell you two to be selfless in your job, you guys have big hearts. But even you guys, as big-hearted dudes, aren't totally selfless when it comes to the way that you do your job as teachers. You guys do calculations. Yeah. For you to be selfless, what I've got to do to move you as teachers is not just tell you to be selfless, not just call you to some quote or you know some piece of you know the the – you know, it's a larger mission of the kids. Yeah, I believe it, but it also has to make sense for you as people. Right. So, so don't ask your students, don't ask your athletes to engage in a set of behaviors that you wouldn't engage in as a professional yourself. Hmm. 
Great and point. I just see this happening all the time. Be selfless. Come out and just you know spill it for people, even though you're not playing, you get no rewards, you never get on the field, and there's no real upside for you here. But man, come out here and work your ass off for nothing. Uh, what? What? Yeah, we I, don't do that. I didn't sign up for that one. No. <laughs> no, I didn't sign up for that. And so, like, it's a really great spot. Every time you find in in a in a in a teaching job, every time you find something going on, and you hear teachers, or you find inside yourself, yourself maybe questioning some decisions of administration looking at what a principal or superintendent or, you know, department head is kind of asking you to do and, and finding yourself not really that motivated to do it. Like listen to what is going on in you and then ask yourself, Oh, when is that going on in my players for what I'm asking them to do? Mm. And is what's happening in me and the reasons I'm using this, is that ever showing up in my players and how would my principal move me? How can I use that to move my player? That, you guys follow that? That's yeah, yeah. That's the life we live. Yeah, because that's because that's real. And you know, I work in both environments, and so I hear a lot of teachers who are also coaches. And I'm in the I'm in the uh, the the teacher conversations a lot, and I hear these things from teachers. And then I'll watch the exact same teachers go out on the football field and preach and bark at kids to do things that a teacher hasn't done in fifteen and twenty years. Yeah. Nope. Well, so Not, I, the standards have to apply to the people who set them. Right. And that, and that's what I'm, for me, it's, it's, it's a selfless. I mean, you're asking a teenager, 15, 18 to be selfless. And that's the farthest thing from their mind. And they don't grab a hold of that, you know, and they're but you're just like, it's like, it's like trying to climb Everest barefooted. Right. Like, like, look, if, if, if you're going to ask a teenager to be selfless, you're going to have like a 1% hit rate. And that 1% hit rate of teenagers who are going to be selfless were already wired that way. Right. Right? We're, not, we're not moving it. So you can get them to a selfless place, but we've got to teach them how to get there. And we got to get them moving. And to move them, we got to get them to a more self-interest and then move them to selfless. Not just ask them to be selfless from the beginning. It's just not a request human beings do very well, no. let alone teenagers. Yeah, it's true. So let me let me introduce you guys. Um, let me introduce you guys since you asked about Epo Cycles though to a, uh, a a new thing that I'm teaching and a new thing I'm I'm putting out. So I've only I've only actually put this out in a handful of places. You guys are getting this uh, probably on the um, probably on the. I've not actually done any public uh, discussion about this. You guys are getting the first crack at this from a public perspective. But so so uh, um. I'm really interested in a, a sort of a, a new approach to looking at how we evaluate and how we teach skill. And that is, uh, um, what, what does IQ measure? Uh, how smart you are. Attitude. Yeah, how smart, intelligence, right? How smart you are. Do you need a high IQ to be good at football? But no, <laughs> no, you do not. No, you. We do can not. find a spot on. We can find a spot on defense for anybody. That's right, man. Right, right. you know. Yeah, I mean, we've all played with like guys who we wouldn't. We wouldn't say have high IQs, but you put a ball in their hand and they're magic. Yeah, I mean, they are magic. Um, so IQ is a measure of, of intelligence. You don't need intelligence to be a good person. You don't need intelligence to be a good. Uh, uh, football player, you don't need intelligence to be good at business or sales or marriage, right? It's to- intelligence is completely overrated. What's EQ? You guys ever heard of EQ? No, no, brand new. Emotional intelligence, right? It's oh, a sure. emotional. Yeah. They call it. IQ is is you know how smart you are. EQ, emotional intelligence, is your ability to to understand your own emotions and emotions of other people. Well, I'm interested in, in something different than both of those because here's the limit of both of those. What good is intelligence and emotions that don't convert into really skilled action? Mm. Because we talk about IQ all the time, but you ever met smart people who just never achieved very much? I have. Yeah. You ever, you ever, uh, you ever, you ever met emotionally? smart and, and and good people that you would not hire onto your business or bring on your team? Absolutely. Uh-huh. Yeah. Oh, by the way, I'll give you number one on that list. My mom. 
I love my mom. My mom is amazing, right? She's got great, great emotions. I'm not hiring her in my business. Yeah. So, so emotions yeah. don't always convert to the things that we need. So right. I'm interested in a whole different set of skills, and it's the skills that center around action and E plus R equals O. So rather than IQ or EQ, what I'm most interested in is somebody's RQ. I'm most interested in their response quality. Oh. So check wow. out what what does RQ look at? RQ is this. I don't care about smarts. I don't care about motions. Here's what I care about. In the moment, when there's an opportunity, or when there's a situation, is your response quality high enough? That's the measure. What football teams win versus football teams that lose? If you have a team with a low response quality, John, you were talking about it. Yeah. What happens? Yeah, they, they fall and they lose. The lower the response quality of the team, the harder it is to actually win. We're not talking about talent. We're not talking about what we're talking about is response quality. So what is it that, that, that an RQ is built around? I think RQ is built around two things. RQ first is built around skill of your response. Mm -hmm. and the second thing RQ is built around is the speed of that response, being able to access a skillful response with speed. So you, you, look, at, you look at RQ. What if you can engage in a skillful response, but you can't do it very fast? You can't, you can't get to that good response quickly. What if it takes you, John, uh, either one of you, Johns, right? Yeah. What if it takes you 30 minutes to figure out how to respond well to listening to your wife rather than talking and solving her problem? What if it takes you 30 minutes to figure that out? <laughs> You're probably uh, going to be in the doghouse. Brother, you are already in trouble. <laughs> okay? So what I'm talking about here is, what does high RQ mean? What it means is this. I can, with speed and skill, engage in a response that creates a good outcome in any situation. Hmm. Think about how valuable that is. The skill and speed of your response to create a good outcome in any situation. That's and you want to talk about the ultimate life skill. That's it. Yeah. And this is what our job as coaches is on the field and in the classroom and in life is we're building RQ into these young men and into these young women. We're trying to build, hey, I'm going to teach you not, not what I want you to do. Right. This is where I come from. Not what I want you to do. Not not my moral compass. Right. Right. Not my personal standards. I'm trying to teach you how to choose for yourself and how to build the capacity to engage in skillful, fast responses because you're going to be in all these situations and you've got to be able to think, choose, decide, and act for yourself. If it takes you too long or you can't get good enough, Life is going to be very, very difficult on you. I guess it's life is going to beat you up and you're going to find yourself not ready for it. But if I can build your RQ high enough, well, then you're going to be able to go capture great opportunity and you're going to be able to deal with all the hard stuff life gives to you. And you're going to be able to do it faster and more skillfully than everybody else. And that's how we build great competitors. Right. So I think about, I think about I think seniors in. Go ahead. Go ahead, JT. That's what I'm talking about. Go ahead. I, I think you just defined grit. You know, in uh, sports, we have a tangible measurement for everything. I can measure bench. I can measure your 40 time. I can measure, um, you know, your squat and different things. I can measure your GPA in the classroom. But I know Kirk Ferentz at Iowa a few years ago at the Iowa Football Coaches Association Clinic, he talked about the one thing we can't measure is grit. And that's stayed with me for a few years now, but I think your RQ is measuring grit. It is, and we can, and this is where we can measure it. I, I put it, we don't have a diagram here, but, but, and I'm not worried about measurement to, you know, ultimately you, you look at this, it's like, it's like trying to measure attitude. You know, if I, can you feel attitude from people? Can you feel it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah you can feel yeah. it. Can you measure it? No. No. So, 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 
attitude is one of these things we feel and it's a big difference maker, but no matter how we would ever try to measure attitude, the measurement would never equal the impact it actually has. We would give it a number, but the numbers are relevant because at the end of the day, it's not an accurate reflection of what actually happens in attitude. And so it's the same thing with RQ. But what we can do is we can bucket. I think this is super cool for football, especially. So if you take speed and skill and put them in on two axes, right? Skill going on the vertical and speed going on the horizontal. What we're trying to do for football players in the game is we're trying to get players to play how? We're trying to get them to play more skillfully, and we're trying to get them to play what? Faster. Yeah. Even faster. faster. The higher up we can climb on both of those fronts, the better team we're going to have. Guys that can be engaged in great football plays really fast are, generally speaking, pretty damn good players. Right. But not every player is on the same path or follows the same line. And so if we take those two, you know, the vertical and the horizontal, and we just, we just kind of create a box, right, with four quadrants. If you're low skill, low speed, not very good, not very fast at being able to, to, you know, assignment, technique, intensity, all that stuff. Well, then what you are is you're, you're in a you're in a zone of being a developing learner. Freshmen find themselves in this spot all the time, right? right. I'm not good at the plays yet. I don't fully understand them. I don't really know the technique. I can't do it well. And the game is too fast for me. So I'm, I'm still in a box in a zone of being a developing learner. Eventually, what happens is you'll get some guys who are very fast and they, they, they engage in fast decisions, they play really fast, but they're not very good. What you have there is right here in that bottom right box, and that's the aggressive competitor. Right? That's the guy who, who goes fast, but doesn't do it with skill. Makes a ton of mistakes, but he's competitive as hell, and wait, we can work with that. Or you have the other guy who is a, who's all skill but can't do it very fast, who knows it, but his processing speed is too slow. And so that's skill, but it takes him too long to get there. And that's the thoughtful operator, right? The person who wants to calculate everything. Yeah. And you, you know, you know, different, that's a very personal style as well for some people. Like I'm more, I gravitate more towards my home base as a person is that aggressive competitor. Like even when I'm not good at things, I'll still go very fast yeah. and make mistakes. I don't, I don't mind that. And it costs me every now and then, but, Generally speaking, it pushes me into more experience. My wife is a more thoughtful operator. Like she's slow. She doesn't want to make the mistakes. She tries to be very skillful but slow. And then, and then ideally where we get to when we're high skill, high speed, is that's the elite performer zone. Mm. And that, that's where we're trying to get to. And so there's a zone for everybody. And there's a zone for context. Right. And, you know, and for both of you, if I were to take you out of football coaching and, and put you into, say, lacrosse coaching, would you have the same RQ in lacrosse that you have in football? No. Well, no. Skills would, <laughs> would be lacking. Because <laughs> what would happen would be your skill and your speed would both, your skill would change and your speed would slow down. And so, and so with sports, you know, or, or any, 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 when you change the setting, this is why I say training RQ is trying to train a universal one, and then we can train it in specifics. When I'm training universal RQ with E plus R equals O, what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to build your broad RQ so you can bring it with you where you go. I want you to have a high RQ on the road, a high RQ when you travel, a high RQ in sales, a high RQ in marriage, a high RQ if you get cancer, a high RQ if you go broke. I want you to have a high RQ if you win the lottery or you make it to the National Football League and all of a sudden you got $3 million in your pocket. You want to know what's painful? Have a low RQ with success. Mm. I saw the last, the wow. thing that, the thing that just came out with Adrian Peterson. Bro, all this low, money. Have a low response quality to making a lot of money. Watch what happens to your life. So, so when you have a, when you can build your RQ as your operating system, then you can bring a high RQ wherever you go and you can get better. Now, it's not going to be a perfect transference, right? Like, right. I've worked really hard on my RQ, you know, my whole adult life. But you put me, like, I'm working on golf right now from a competitive perspective, sink my teeth into it. Well, my RQ is is okay in golf right now, but it's not great. And so I, I don't get a perfect transference. But hopefully I can improve faster than somebody else does because of my RQ and I can learn it and move quicker through those zones of the box. Does that make sense? That's a great way to look at it. Yeah. That's, that's what we're trying to do. Love. Well, and there's so much, 
so many things that we're trying to do in education right now because so many of the jobs that our kids that are going through the system don't exist yet. Yes. So we want them to have range and depth and breadth. And then we also want them to be able to apply it, to transfer what they learn now into whatever role they're going to be in the future. That's exactly it. And, it, and it's never going to be a perfect transference, right? No. It's, it's always going to be a learning curve that, hey, my RQ will not perfectly transfer. And I think this is the mistake a lot of people make. I mean, shoot, how much of your transference of playing the game of football perfectly transferred to being a great coach of football? Mm. Nope. Mm. There's, there's a, there's a non-correlation between how well you played the game and how well you coach the game. Because while the information is similar, the context and the skill sets are very different. So, you know, RQ in one doesn't guarantee the same level of RQ in another. Yeah. 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 I think about, I think about a lot of coaches that their claim to fame is he must be able to coach it because he was a great player. And like you said, it doesn't translate. No, I mean, Sanders, Deion Sanders can't teach what he did. No, no, <laughs> no. He, he can teach that swag, though. That's right. Yeah. He sure can. <laughs> hey guys, I got a, uh, I got another call. I'm, uh, I'm running, and this was a, uh, this was a good time. It's yeah. Great time. BK, I appreciate oh, it, man. Really appreciate what you're doing. Keep doing it because we're using it, and really appreciate your time. All right, thanks, guys. We'll talk soon. All right, BK. See you, man. Culture Classroom is supported by Laws and Learning, a nonprofit run by educators for educators with a mission to engage students, empower teachers, and transform schools. Through professional development conferences focusing on active learning, practical resources, and reflective teaching, including fishbowl classrooms, and a unique teacher-to-teacher consulting program, Laws and Learning is providing the authentic professional development your school needs. Visit them at LausanneLearning.com today to find one of their active learning conferences near you and to learn more about changing education from the ground up.